0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Detroit News Assistant Sports Editor Mark Faulkner, joined by our Red Wings beat reporter, Ted Colfin. Coming up, we'll hear from Mount Clemens native Frank Nazar, who could be the Red Wings' first-round draft pick next month. But first, Ted, we're getting closer to the naming of the new Red Wings coach, the 28th head coach in franchise history A lot of coaches are off the board. Bruce Cassidy in Vegas, Peter DeBoer in Dallas, John Tortorella in Philadelphia, Paul Maurice in Florida. Can you see Derek Lalonde in Detroit, though, Ted? The lightning face elimination tonight. And we've talked about other candidates who are still out there, like Barry Trotz, Mike Babcock, Jeff Halpern, David Quinn, Benoit Gruel, Ricard Gronberg, but what about Lalon? He's 49. He was on your original list of intriguing mm-hmm. candidates, an assistant coach in Tampa Bay for four years, a head coach for two years in Iowa and Toledo. What are the odds, Ted, that he could be the next coach?
1: Well, let's face it, Mark. It seems, it seems to be increasing, either mm-hmm. him or Halpern, the other Tampa assistant. I mean, all signs get these little signals. I mean, if Eisenman hasn't named anybody to this point, you know, he might be biding his time until Tampa Bay is eliminated. And then yeah, maybe one of those two guys seems like mm-hmm. Lalan seems to be the favorite. Uh he has some ties to the state and whatnot and seems to be well regarded within the industry. Sure doesn't seem like Barry Trotz is headed here. I mean, if seems if there would if there would have been some sort of connection, it would have happened by now. And it seems like very w- w- trots to Winnipeg. It just makes a lot of sense in a mm-hmm. lot of fronts. He's from close to there, and just makes some sense. So yeah, I would I would agree with you. I think there's a good effort, good chance, and probably will be one of those Tampa assistants and likely to happen. Probably, oh, I don't see why it wouldn't happen within a week or so. I mean, mm-hmm. at the, at that point, if Tampa is eliminated, uh, I don't see why not. Yeah.
0: Ted, earlier this week on Tuesday, Marit Sider won the Calder Trophy as the NHL's top rookie, the first Red Wing to win the Calder since Roger Crozier in 1965. Sider finished first on 170 of the 185 ballots. Here's what Sider had to say when you talked to him after he won the Calder.
1: We you head into next season, what areas of the game do you want to improve on, you think, or you can work on?
2: I think lateral movement on the blue line is 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 a key to be successful as a defenseman. I mean, if you see uh, McCarr doing that in, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, so uh, it's pretty it's pretty fun to see. And um, yeah, you want to be up there too one day. So um, it's definitely uh, uh, one point of the game I'm working on.
1: How fun was it playing in the NHL this year? Was it everything you expected?
2: Yeah, it was. It was great i mean that 's what that 's what you dream about, right, but also it was quite challenging playing playing eighty two games in a short amount of time, so um, overall i 'm happy um that was that successful, but um you're always looking with one night to uh, to next year
1: sounds good thanks for this marks thank you
0: so Ted, there you have cider talking about the challenging season playing eighty two games he said in a short amount of time. Of all the stats, Ted, the 82 games, the 50 points, the most points in the last 30 years aside from Quinn Hughes and Vladimir Malikov, the most points by a Red Wings rookie defenseman since Reed Larson and Nicholas Lidstrom, the first Red Wings defenseman to ever win the Calder Trophy, the 13th defenseman in NHL history to win the award, and only the third in the last 12 seasons, joining Kale McCarr and Aaron Ekblad. First in minutes, too, Ted, played by NHL rookies. Steve Eisenman said he's a top-pair defenseman. Eisenman also said that Sider had a profound effect on the team, and he was looking forward to his continued development. So what does Sider do for an encore, Ted? Make the playoffs?
1: Well, I tell you, he did have an impressive season, Mark. Mm-hmm. There's no question. I, don't, I, th- I He exceeded my expectations. I mean, I thought he'd come in and be a factor, help this team, but goodness gracious, I mean, he was – arguably one of the better defensemen in the entire (laughs) league as a 2021 year old he was he had a fantastic season there's still room to grow and there's parts of his game he can get better and but uh he's going to be a core piece of this rebuild and this entire organization for a long long time this is a, a very talented young man and i think he's Going to make an impact in this league for a long time, and let's face it, I think he's going to be in his his name's going to be in the Norris conversation Mm -hmm. possibly before too long.
0: It's time now for our interview segment. Today's special guest is USA Hockey's Frank Nazar, who could wind up joining Cider on this Red Wings team in a few years. Joining us now is 18-year-old center Frank Nazar of the National Team Development Program. In a possible draft pick of the Detroit Red Wings, sitting number eight in the NHL draft on Thursday, July the 7th. Frank, welcome to the podcast. And earlier this year, you were quoted as saying that your family, your mom, dad, and three sisters, you kind of asked them to refrain from talking too much about this NHL draft that's coming up and where you rank and where you might wind up. Now that the season is over, and you score twenty eight goals for the second straight year, seventy points this year in fifty six games, have you thought more about the draft and where you'll wind up after attending the University of Michigan?
2: yeah, it's definitely a thing that's been talked about now that the season's over i kind of I kind of just like to focus on the present, so as as that was going on, I wasn't trying to get too much in my head and and just focus on what I was trying to accomplish, but uh yeah, definitely like right now it's. Just, something to think about and kind of joke about with my family to, to see like hey uh, maybe you can end up over here and <laughs> and I, we have some family around and like some family in Ohio that's like oh go to Columbus <laughs> you know so it's <laughs> it, it's just it's fun to talk about now.
0: Frank for our listeners uh, talking about your family they should probably know that your dad uh, owned a parking garage uh, near Joe Lewis Arena around 2004, right when the year you were born. So you weren't part of that necessarily, going down to the rink with your dad. But can you tell us how that job, your mom and dad, how that might have affected your dad's interest in the game, your family's interest?
2: Neither one of my parents uh, played hockey. So they weren't too, I don't want to say familiar with the sport, but they they weren't super into it. Just my dad parking all those those fans for the Wings games and going to the games and being able to celebrate when they win the cup kind of just got him into hockey and, and my whole family now. And once I was born, he he just kept on being a Wings fan. Mm-hmm. And one day he was watching a, a Wings game and I walked in and and I was watching it with him and he, he asked me if it looked fun. And I was like, Yeah, this looks like a lot of fun. So he he, he signed me up to play.
0: Frank, what was it like learning the game in Mount Clemens, uh, the rank uh, growing up before you even got to Honey Bait? What was it like when you were first learning how to play in an area that really hasn't produced as many, like, OHL players or players who have gone on to the, the U17 and U18 teams?
2: I would say, for me, I think it was a great experience, and, and that's mm-hmm. why I always end up coming back to Mount Clemens for the summer. It's just, like, this is my hometown, and this is – where i want to be and there's so many family and friends over here but a a huge thing for me growing up was i was lucky enough to be family friends with the oleski family and steve oleski played had a a great career with through nhl ahl and and just a a professional career and Mm. he was lucky enough or i was lucky enough to to have him guide me and kind of help me grow as a person as a player and and I got to give a lot of credit to him that he helped out a lot through the summers and, and I just saw thanks for him.
0: I imagine he must've really been happy to see you go to that honey team. I wrote a story about that club, the U 15 team. You had 12 players <laughs> selected, which was more than any other team in Ontario or in Michigan at the time. Max Nemesnikov, He went to Sarnia third overall. You were taken by, the London Knights in the fifth round. That's Mark and Dale Hunter's team. That's a powerhouse. Were there any real doubts? Did you talk to um anybody else about the decision? It must have been a, a an amazing opportunity to come to the USA hockey here in Plymouth. What about the OHL in that year with Honeybait? 127 points for you that season. Fifty five games and forty nine
2: goals, Frank. Obviously we talked with the with the London Knights and they said that they'd like to draft me and, and I was all in for it they're a great program they have great people there, but uh once I was selected to the national team it was there it was kind of no doubt that I was going to end up going there. It's just sure. growing up sure. around that area and seeing the guys that go through the program i I think that's just it was kind of like a no brainer to be like okay, that's where I want to play so um personally for me i w- I was kind of lost if like if I didn't make it, I wouldn't have known what to do so i uh, Thank God it, it worked out.
0: Frank, you're also the latest player who has a connection to the Red Wings. Your dad, of course, working down at Joe Lewis Arena. We mentioned Max Nemesnikoff, the nephew of Slava Kozlov, a two time Stanley Cup champion. I mentioned Cutter Gocce and his dad. His dad actually was a teammate of Chris Draper's in Winnipeg and in Moncton. In fact, Sean Gocce. Said he was there the day Frank, when Draper was traded to Detroit for one dollar. So there's a connection there with Cutter and his dad, uh, Cole Perfetti. His billets were friends of Chris Draper's. Alec Ragula, his dad was the team dentist. Given all these connections and your dad's connection to Detroit and downtown, how would you react if the Red Wings drafted
2: you with the eighth pick? I mean, our whole family and myself would be just super excited. That's sure. It's kind of been. I don't know if you could tell, but the routes I've been taking on uh, teams that I've been playing for is kinda like a, a hometown guy and, and if, if I play or well when I play in Michigan next year, it's just it'd be awesome to go from Michigan to Detroit and just be able to stay at home and all my family and friends and I know for sure it'd help with the the ticket sales at <laughs> at Little Caesars. So <laughs> no, but it'd be it'd be an awesome and an amazing experience.
0: Your uh, time with the national team, uh, Nick Four, who was just named the permanent coach for the U-17s, he was an assistant when you were there. He said you had a tough start at first. You were on the wing for a little bit. You had lots of questions about forechecking. And they said just you know get after people. And eventually he said they moved you into the middle and you were patient. You were in the right spot most of the time. And then he said your game just took off. I just wonder what your thoughts are about – your best position, a lot of teams are looking at you at center. Um, what are your thoughts about the first couple of years, that transition? And is center the position that you would like to play?
2: I'd say center is where I, I believe I should play. I think that's where I, I play my best and mm-hmm. and just all around have have good thoughts and uh, just the ability to do stuff at center. I feel like it, it's a lot better than at wing. But that doesn't go to to doubt that I I could play wing as well. Uh, I actually, I played wing my whole life and Mm. and never actually played center until last year. Well, the 17 year. Sure. So that's, it was, it was something new and obviously I'm still learning. It's not something you just pick up right away. So I think that once, once that comes along and I start to get a little bit more experience as, as a center that it'll just, take off even more
0: frank uh nick talks about your breakaway speed averaging he said a breakaway or so a game he said that you've got that pop one step and you're gone he told a funny story once a four-on-four practice and he's along the boards he said with seamus casey and they're watching you and and, and both of you can see the play develop and they see what you're thinking two steps and you were gone. And Sheamus apparently said to uh, to Nick, "It's just not fair, Coach." <laughs> so, <laughs> so the speed that you have is something that you you have, and and Nick said it's similar to Logan Cooley's, who's been a guest uh, on the podcast as well. But what
2: are your thoughts about utilizing that speed? For me, it's more of I'm watching what like the defender's doing, or I'm kind of reading how the play's Jeez. gonna work gonna work out, and it's all about like timing, I guess, and. Like if you're going down on a rush and you don't have any teammates with you, then you can't go too fast or else you're going to be by yourself. You kind of got to slow down away from, them. or if you're coming down in the D's trying to make a good gap and you slow down and you're just trying to switch this gap up. So it's kind of just something that sure. you kind of got to read and react. Read and react and distributing the puck. I know Adam
0: Nightingale, your coach this past year said that there's like 900 passes in a game and he thinks it's an underrated skill who were some of your teammates that you played with on regular lines and what was that chemistry like with passing?
2: Yeah. So my, my line mate was Isaac Howard basically the last two years. Honestly, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I think that our chemistry was great and it worked out almost every game. And he's kind of just someone that for me, we, we kind of go to different spots. So it's like if I'll go in the corner and get the puck and I'll give it to him in the slot and he's, he's going to score most of the time or, if I see him in the corner, he's going to hit me in the slot. So it kind of just worked out like that. And, and it was just easy to find him, and he, he got open f- pretty easily. So it was, it was nice.
0: Frank, are there players that you've seen in the NHL that uh, that you maybe pattern your your game after? We asked Cutter Goche that question. Uh, he, he liked uh, Mark Scheifele, Pierre-Luc Dubois. How about yourself? Is a Braden Point somebody that you pattern your game after? Is there anybody at all that you watch and say – you know, that's, those are some skills I would really like to duplicate.
2: Yeah, I try to, the guys that I watched in the NHL, like, closely are Braden Point. He's one of them. And then also uh, Patrice Bergeron. He's just, he's so great defensively, but offensively, like, as well. And, I mean, just look at how many times he's been nominated for top three Selkie. But, like, the defensive side, mostly Bergeron. But then the offensive side is mostly Braden Point and the way he uses his speed and, and get to open, open spots. Frank, just a few more questions. The uh,
0: speed, when you come back into your own zone, what's it like with that speed coming back where you don't want to be back too far, too fast. Like what sort of things did you learn with the national program? Like how to get on the right side of the puck. And when you come back, like, where do you go as a centerman? Because you're back there with your defenseman all the time.
2: Yeah. If, if anything goes wrong, you kind of, you just work back to the middle of the ice and that's how you kind of sort okay. things out and, and figure it out. But one thing I definitely learned was, when you, when I come back to, to stop and not just circle off, that's that's how uh, you end up getting getting a minus one every now <laughs> and then. But but that's one thing that Adam Nightingale's taught me. And uh, honestly, growing up and all the way up until I got to the, the national team, sure, my defensive like play was very poorly. I'd say I'm I could I would say I'm good like, one-on-one and, like, poking the puck away from guys and, like, reading guys. Sure. But it wasn't until that year, my first year, that I realized how much more it was than just kind of sitting in your spot. And that's, that's the reason why I struggled in the beginning. And, and once I figured a little bit of that out, it kind of started going up and up and up and started to learn more, and, and that's kind of how I started to take off.
0: And is there Frank maybe not the word pride, but there's the the as you saw, whether it's watching the Tampa Bay Lightning on TV and back in positioning and, and 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 making plays and taking a hit, all the things that you've been taught, do you get the sense that there's a lot of a sense of accomplishment when you guys shut down a play or you're able to get a face off when you're under a lot of pressure?
2: Yeah. I mean, even in the NHL, just killing a penalty off is a huge momentum builder and
0: sure. And
2: like even our coach says it all the time, like a, a good defensive play is gonna build guys emotions and, and momentum and, and want them to go out and play harder. So that that's definitely a fact.
0: Just wrapping up with the University of Michigan uh, next year, you said your your family will be out there and, and Nick said you definitely have a cheering section and how excited are you to go to Yoast and to and to spend a year, maybe two years there, even developing your game more, Frank.
2: Yeah, I'm really excited. I think that it's going to be a great, not only, like, career experience, but life experience. It's, it's something you kind of got gotta to do to understand. And I think that it's going to be great for, for hockey-wise and, and life-wise, just having mm-hmm. to live on my own a little bit and kind of have some, like, self-responsibility. But, uh, no, I'm super excited to get going there. Frank,
0: thanks again for your time today and talking to us about your Michigan background, your time with USA Hockey, and now as you prepare for your time with the University of Michigan. Thanks again for your time today. Yeah, thank you. Our thanks again to Frank Nazar. Ted, let's take a look now at your story today at DetroitNews.com. Five players The Red Wings could consider trading in their rebuild. Philip Ronick, Philip Zadina, Tyler Bertuzzi, Pew Suter, Adam Ernie. If you traded Bertuzzi, what would you expect in return? A high draft pick, a prospect, top six defenseman in your story? You said Bertuzzi is coming off that career-best season, 30 goals, 32 assists. He's 27, entering the final year of a two-year contract with a cap hit of 4.5. 75 million million per season. His vaccination status was a factor last year, but may not this year depending on Canada's vaccination requirements. So, Ted, if you're a playoff contending team and you've been watching these playoffs with that playoff style hockey at a premium, I would guess you would want Bertuzzi in your lineup, right?
1: I would agree with you, Mark. I think mm-hmm. he's probably nearing entering or at the prime of his career. And, boy, how – guess the question is, is he going to get much better than this or not? I don't know. I mean, he certainly had a heck of a season last year. One of the He played, played some of the best hockey I've ever seen him play. But his part of, it is somewhat of a conundrum. I mean, you definitely want to keep him. He's a big part of the rebuild. He has been. He's provided great results on the ice. But at the same time, boy, oh, boy, is he going to be a – Big part of the rebuild going forward. He is 27, going to be 28 here soon. I mean, how what's going to be his contract? I mean, how much term and money do you want to commit to him? It'll be an interesting choice. I do think, ultimately, by the bet, I think he's going to remain a Red Wing, but it's something to consider. keep he, you still – here is his Bo- name out there in trade discussions. If any of those five, it's going to be the top two. Philip Ronek and Philip Zedina. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Ronek is shipped. I just think with the influx of defensemen coming in, the term, the cost certainty he has in his contract, I think he'll be a desirable player out there for somebody. Zedina, I think it's a little less so that he'd be traded, but... Let's face it, he just hasn't developed. Maybe a change of scenery would be good for him. We've talked about that, I think, in the past. Uh, We'll see. It's going to be, it should be a very interesting summer around the Mm -hmm. league, I think. So, there's going to be a lot of names probably floated. I think those two would probably be the best bets of probably and possibly being shipped out.
0: And finally, uh, Ted, the Red Wings Avalanche documentary. It will be released tomorrow at a viewing party at Little Caesars and on Sunday on ESPN at 1 p.m. I watched an advanced screening of the documentary. There's even a couple of scenes with our Wojo. He's interviewed about the McCarty-Lemieux fight on March 26, 1997. Wojo said he was writing his story up in the cramped press box. He felt somebody bump into his shoulder. It was Pierre Lacroix, the Avs GM and the architect of those cup-winning teams. Wojo had written a column that day about Lemieux returning to Detroit, the most wanted man in Detroit. Lacroix just said to Wojo, get out of my way. And there are a couple of expletives there that are in the documentary. There was also a scene from our Windsor Star front page that night. McCarty unloads on Lemieux, Avs agitator pummeled and winged 6'5 OT win. So, Ted – For fans, not so much about the documentary, but wonder just how good those Colorado teams were with Waugh, Foot, Forsberg, Sackick, Lemieux. They didn't really have a McCarr or McKinnon, and they might be the newest Avalanche team to win the Cup. They could wrap it up tonight, but they were certainly Detroit's biggest rival during those days, and what was it like covering them?
1: I mean, it was incredible. I mean, it really was. Just the hockey was sublime. The intensity was unbelievable. We've all seen the video. We've all seen the interviews. Uh, some great hockey. I mean, I just I was just it's strange timing on ESPN's part. You would think they would release this maybe late, later latter part of the season be- before a Red Wings Avalanche game or something, or sure, strange timing uh, to just release it after the season, but no it was it was incredible hockey, and anybody who's a Detroit sports fan they just relish it they relish that time
0: ted thanks again for your time today and that'll do it for episode 73 of our detroit news detroit red wings podcast again all your stories are online at detroitnews.com as well as on our Octopol's facebook page on twitter instagram instagram stories and snapchat thanks again everybody for listening rating and reviewing this podcast ted and i will be back after the nhl draft